0: This is Curtis Hill, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to The Extra Point. Today is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. And over the last couple of weeks, I've used an episode of The Extra Point to talk about a couple of songs. So they were Be Still My Soul and We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And I've really appreciated the feedback I've gotten from those two podcasts. So I thought I would share another one. And what came to mind was another song that really had an impact on me a few years back. The words were actually penned in the 1700s. And the first time I sang this song, I was in a convention center with thousands of other pastors. And there's actually a recording of this when the pastors sang together. I'll link to it. I hadn't heard the words before, so I didn't know exactly where the song was going. But I was singing along, and then then I realized where this song was going. And it was a real gut check in thinking through this. And it's one of those songs where you had to ask the question, like, can I honestly sing this and say this? Do I really mean what I'm singing? Do I really want this? So this was the song. It was written by John Newton, who also wrote Amazing Grace. There are seven stanzas. And while there are seven, they're really direct and short. And I think what I'd like to do is read a stanza and then make a few remarks and then read the next one and make some more remarks and then until we get to the end. Okay, so here it goes. Stanza number one. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Well, that's a sweet prayer. It's the kind that Christians should be praying. These are prayers we are told to pray. Growing in faith, more confident in the fact that Jesus is for us through his work. Growing in grace, more aware of the favor of God we never deserved. Knowing more of his salvation, more deeply appreciating the rescue he provided. Seeking his face more earnestly, more in tune to his heart and will for us. Well, I hope that's the kind of prayers we pray. It is the kind of prayers we pray when our hearts are in tune with the Lord, which leads us right into the next stanza. It says, "Twas He who taught me thus to pray, and He I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way, as almost drove me to despair." To so the second stanza, so Jesus taught me to pray like this. He's saying I wasn't out of line in taking these kinds of requests to the Lord, and in hindsight, John Newton is saying I believe He's answered my request. But the way in which it was answered almost drove him to despair. What? Despair? how that happen? How did God answer prayer in that kind of way? The next stanza. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, he would subdue my sins and give me rest. This stanza reminds me we have a way of envisioning God answering our prayers. Often it's related to the timing. It happens like, We envision it happening really quickly. Newton says at once he would answer. Or the timing is at least optimal for how we view things, that favorite hour. The timing goes just exactly as we had planned. Or it's not just timing. It's also the way in which the request would be answered. So he envisions like he would end up never sinning again. He would have instant freedom and victory. He could just give something over to Jesus, walk away, and never be bothered by it for the rest of his life. Then he'd have rest knowing God had really shown up and answered his prayers. That's the way, John Newton says, that's the way he envisioned all of this going down. But the next stanza, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Instead, that's a loaded word. Instead, wow, hidden evils. Sins beneath the sins that still linger, remaining sin, the flesh's impulses and desires. I really didn't want to have to look at the picture of myself without Photoshop covering all the blemishes. But even that, he he describes the powers of hell all assaulting his heart. My mind goes to the picture of Job or tormented children and adults that Jesus encountered or even Jesus in the garden when he's in agony. This in many ways is such an ugly scene, much like some of the scenes in The Pilgrim's Progress, which are so intense. Next stanza says, yet more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. You can hear John Newton processing this. I thought the Lord would just relieve everything, but instead it intensified. This was God's intention. We, we misread God's intention sometimes. We start asking ourselves, does he only want it to be taught? Could there be a chance that he really doesn't care? I hear echoes of Isaiah 40. Why has God disregarded me? Why has he ignored me? You hear a lot of the Psalms in this, don't you? Do you really want me to lose, Lord? Am I going to lose my faith and my peace and my joy? Through this period of trials, it's as if God took all the fair designs. I had the strategies for wealth, the comfort, the pleasure, the security, the approval, the power. I'd plan on these things, built a lot of my life on them, and then the Lord... Humbled me and laid me low. Next stanza, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, "Will, will thou pursue thy worm to death?" Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. You hear the the writer. So I don't know what to do with all of this. I asked him, "Why are you doing this? Are you trying to kill me?" And the answer. The answer comes, no, no, no. I answered your prayer. You prayed for grace, which is undeserved favor. You prayed for faith, the confident assurance that I am for you in my death and resurrection. I gave you these, these inward trials, the next stanza, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou, mayest find thy all in me. So the trials were working on the inside, the inner life. They had a specific design. Here's the words. They were freeing you from, freeing you from yourself, the flesh, the impulses that go against the will of our Father. They were freeing you from pride, exalting yourself above your pay grade, especially compared to Almighty God. They were breaking the schemes of earthly joy, the things we counted on other than finding our ultimate satisfaction and joy in Jesus. Everything your whole life found in him. These words remind me of Colossians 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. As I think about a lot of the songs I've heard, there's a, there's a ton about praise and there are several songs about mission. There are even some songs about confession and repentance, but not many songs are quite like this where they really make you feel uncomfortable. Not many articulate a deep understanding of like growth or sanctification. This song makes you think, it makes you sensitive. Not many songs articulate like this respectful wrestling with the Lord But I find that John Newton has a way of making you uncomfortable and reminding you that you are deeply loved. I would hope this song might give you a window into the Lord's heart in designing difficult times. And maybe it will help you wrestle with suffering in a fresh way. So that's all for now. I am really grateful that you'll listen regularly to these. I can't wait until we can meet face-to-face. But in the meantime, I'm praying that God uses our trials, especially since often they're so unwanted and really painful, but that God will use them. And this is what I know. He is using them to change us. He is making us more and more like Jesus.